0: This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boon people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land.
1: Every time the sun was going down in the evening, I felt physically ill. I also have learned that I have to accept that shit is going to continually hit the fan. It still frustrates the shit out of me that I am at the mercy of motherhood. I just said to my husband, like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, it doesn't feel like a partnership. Just as, you know, things are kind of in a rhythm and maybe a fun new thing, and then the rug gets pulled out Love to you again. And you've, you've got to adjust to a whole new thing.
0: Naomi Kusolakis is a freelance writer, postpartum doula, and a mother of two. In the early days of her career, she cut her teeth in the magazine industry, working for the likes of Marie Claire and Cosmopolitan, before a move to Los Angeles would lead her down the freelance route. Moving back home to Sydney a year earlier than her husband to take an editor role at Women's Health, it was during a four-day trip back to LA that Naomi fell pregnant. And in the years that would follow, Her two births and postpartum periods couldn't have been more different. Here, she takes us through it all. Her early magazine days, her traumatic first birth, training to become a postpartum doula, the relationship challenges that so often come with parenthood, and how she makes work work today. From interviewing celebrities to caring for new families, From LA to the Illawarra, from birth trauma to an empowering home birth. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the tender and thoughtful Naomi Chrysalakis. Naomi, there's been a few false starts. I had to cancel (laughs) on you. You had to cancel on me. I felt so bad this morning that I thought I was going going to have to cancel on you again, but I've pulled through. And I really didn't want to because I'm so excited to chat to you. Can you please start by introducing yourself and your family? I'm so glad we got to chat too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so, yeah, I'm Naomi Kostolakis. I am a postpartum jeweler and writer living down in the Illawarra in New South Wales. And I have um, two little kids and husband. I've got a seven-year-old daughter and a little boy who's turning three tomorrow. Oh Um, wow. Yeah.
0: And (laughs) so you've had a pretty varied career. You went from big magazines to becoming a postpartum doula and you've created quite a business around what you do now too. Can you take us back to the start and talk us through it all? Yeah. Um,
1: oh god it feels like another lifetime ago honestly because it was a bit of a 180 um and also like I was 24 when I got my first job which was as junior writer at Marie Claire um, which was like my dream when I was 15 I had a subscription to Marie Claire and I thought that was the coolest thing ever I used to steal magazines from the local news agents like I was obsessed (laughs) with magazines did you say about an interview no no I didn't say about the stealing I did tell my boss Jackie Frank who's like quite the legend um I got drunk at the very first Christmas party there <laughs> and told her that I used to shoplift and then I woke up the next day and I felt so mortified. Oh, I cannot wow. tell you the shame. Anyway um so I had my like, Callum was I at Marie Claire for a number of years. Um, it was a fabulous um, training ground. I learned more in four months than I did during my four year degree at Sydney Uni in BA Media and Communications. And it was just so super fun. And I was, you know, in my early 20s living it up. I met my now husband while I was there. And then I went to Cosmo to be their features editor and then deputy editor. And in between all of this, I was getting engaged, and my husband, who works in the TV industry and w- was making short films and stuff, he actually won a green card to go and live in the US. I didn't even know that he'd applied for it because he applied for it when we were on a break and then we got back together and we were like <laughs> living together and then he's like, oh, my God, I've got this green card to live in America. So suddenly it was, okay, are we going to, you know, go and do this? Um, we had to get married quickly to, like, we were engaged, but we had to kind of get married to, to get that visa sorted out. We went over and I was um, freelancing over there. So we wanted, he wanted to go to LA. I was going for New York for the publishing side of things. But in the end, I, I ended up having like a conversation with Joanna Coles at Cosmo and in New York about a job. And But I decided that let's give fr- freelance life a shot, which was actually a really good trading ground for what I'm doing now because it was, you know, it's a different lifestyle. And it really took a while to get my head around the challenge of the sort of feast or famine nature of it all and the, you know, rejection of pictures and waiting to hear back and waiting for your invoices to be paid. But I had so many amazing opportunities and experiences because of those four years that we spent in LA. I was interviewing celebrities. I was doing travel stories. I was doing food of both for Australian and US media and just now that I look, now looking back, I'm like, oh, that was like an extended honeymoon. Like, it was just kind of like we were living our best child free lives. Uh, we lived in this like Melrose Place esque, com- like 1930 Spanish Mission compound. We had like lots of friends. We were just, it was the first six months were hard, like moving countries and not knowing anyone there. But I just loved it. I loved my work. I loved everything about it. And I was getting around the sort of 30 mark when like we always knew we wanted to have kids but i definitely it was probably around that time that i i started thinking about having kids while i was freelancing and then i actually got we started trying but then um i got offered a job back in sydney working at women's health as their deputy editor for a year's maternity leave cover and my husband at that point was working on he was making an independent film so i was like you know what you're really busy with that i'm barely going to see you anyway I might just go and live with my parents back in Sydney and do a year, you know, and that worked out to be so fortuitous because it allowed us to get a bank loan to then buy a house. I actually ended up getting pregnant on a four day trip back to LA to visit Michael for his 40th. Oh, how so, good's that? Yeah. It, it all kind of just like, it all happened. I'm coming and, over at um, my ovulation
0: window. Yeah. I didn't
1: even realize because <laughs> <laughs> we would sort of tried for a couple of cycles pre me getting this job. And then I was like, okay like let's just press pause on that for another year and we'll reconvene um anyway I've gone on a tangent I warned you i had gone on a tangent and I, I surely tangents. have first question I've gone on a tangent but that's an in a nutshell kind of
0: where I was up until having my first baby and so then you are pregnant with your daughter you're at women's health how did pregnancy go while working
1: My first pregnancy was really pretty chill. I had one week, so I was pregnant in Sydney for a little bit and then I was due to go back to LA, so I went back and I think I was like nine weeks pregnant when I went back and that week that I got there, I felt pretty crap for a week. I didn't vomit, but I was like, you know, just that morning sickness really. Um, But pregnancy was really easy for me the first time around although I was quite anxious about the whole thing and um, part of that was like well what are we doing and this wasn't kind of you know we don't have everything laid out and planned out but we decided yeah we decided that we'd come back to Sydney and my family's here my husband's family's in Tasmania you know we, we did think about staying in America but We ultimately decided with family support and also the weirdness of America and the weirdness of the healthcare system over there. And like I'd got a taste of that seeing an OBGYN over there and, you know, going through part of that system. And yeah, like we had health insurance, but it was just such a debacle, really. Um, And then Trump got the nomination and we went, okay, this is actually, we were there in the Obama years. We're like, this is a good time to go. The glory days
0: (laughs) are behind us for a while. Let's get the hell out of here. Exactly right. Wow. So did you go back to freelancing as you came home to prepare for your first child? Yeah. So while I was, um, when I went back from my women's health job, I went straight back into freelancing and I
1: actually started getting more copywriting work, which I was really enjoying. And I did a big project for an American um, beauty company called Beauty Counter. And I was doing, I was on a retainer for Napoleon Purtis while I was over there as well. Like I was doing more Copywriting like twenty
0: lives already,
1: (laughs) (laughs) and it was great. Like I really, I was like, this like copywriting in some ways is harder, but in other ways, it's it can be easier than dealing with you know the constant pitching process of that freelance journal lifestyle. And people like really like that that someone who can write. It's like, oh my god, you can write, rather than you know everyone can write when you're writing for a magazine, and they usually can write better than you can. And the money was a lot, a lot, a lot better. A lot better. Yeah, so I started being like, maybe like copywriting is where I want to go. Maybe I'm going to set up a bit of a you know, copywriting thing. When I get home, I did actually for five minutes, do like a eight week contract at um, bride to be as a beauty editor, which was like my first ever kind of beauty editor role, just because someone had left to have a baby and they needed someone to fill a gap. And I was back. So while I was pretty, I came back, I think I was 26 weeks pregnant when I came back to Sydney and I did eight weeks of that. And then I went on maternity leave myself.
0: So now you're very big into postpartum planning. Were you back then? Was there any postpartum (laughs) plan? Um, No, In, in a word,
1: The postpartum plans for me revolved around let's get her room really lovely, let's buy onesies, let's. Um, you know I definitely had thought about oh well I should have like my parents around for support and stuff but that was it I think I froze one meal like when I look back I'm like you idiot Uh, but it also it also just makes me realize how kind of let down by the culture I was and how every woman in this culture is and also back in back when I was having my baby postpartum was not It was not talked about at all. The first 40 days, which was kind of the book, only came out in 2016. There were no postpartum podcasts. There was nothing at all. So for me, it was more like, okay, have I got some like maternity pads and have I, you know, the practical, which is not, which is part of postpartum planning for sure. But I, there was, I was just completely naive to the realities and even what would happen to my body um what to expect from my baby I did know about the fourth trimester from the baby's point of view um you know that babies like to have the shushing and the womb-like things and I'd, I'd read about that and I was I liked a routine back in those days so I was like I'm gonna have my baby on a routine and yep this is what's gonna work for me blah 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 Buy you know buy all the things I think that was my coping mechanism like you know if you can you feel like you can shop your way
0: out yeah, of a like situation sense of control almost
1: yeah. Well, you know, there are practical things you can buy for sure. Um, but that was it, unfortunately.
0: And so how did maternity leave play out for you? Let's start actually with those very early days of parenting. What was it like meeting your daughter?
1: It was awful. I mean, it was lovely to meet her, but it was awful during for the birth and my early postpartum. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I was induced and I had a shit show of a birth and, you know, we came through it, but I came through it feeling like I'd been in some kind of battle. And I was so excited. Like I was, you know, on one hand over the boon to meet her and have this little baby that I've been dreaming about for years. And she was beautiful. And, you know, she was just, and I think about her like I want to cry, but we had both been through something really big. And like it was only down the line that I realized I had birth trauma yeah. around things that had happened during the birth. And in those early days, like I again, like made some dumb choices, like the first night. So she was born at one am. I stupidly let them take her to the nursery because her temperature was a little bit elevated. I was separated from her. Um, So I, I feel like there was this weird thing where like I didn't immediately have that baby bliss bubble that they talk about, which I know you don't necessarily get even if you have your baby on you straight away and the perfect
0: birth. It was just that extra thing too much after a traumatic birth.
1: Yeah. And then I think I slept like two hours that night and, you know, I had people coming like my parents and my best friend came to visit me. The next day and then I said to my husband I'm like oh you go home honey go home and be with the dogs like yeah, I don't need you and that first night was just so such a shocker my daughter was very unsettled you know I think she'd had a rough time during the birth as well she'd had the the clip which is actually a screw like screwed into a little scalp like she probably wasn't feeling great herself which wow. she'd had a vacuum extraction I was you know having it I had a amazing on me like both of us were not Happy. She was so unsettled, and I found that what I thought was going to be so easy and natural, and like me just popping her on the boob and going for it, was so not. It was the. It, it, I couldn't even work out how to hold her properly to feed her, and I then had. I had a real mix of support in the hospital. It was there were some absolute angels, and then there were like one woman who said to me, Oh yeah, this is hell night. Like expect it to be really bad. And I swear that's what set me off onto this spiral, which led to postnatal anxiety. Like your hormone dump already isn't enough. Exactly. So it was just a real struggle. When we got home, my husband had one week off and then he went back to work to finish a contract, which looking back was a terrible mistake. He never should have. I mean, I, I told him to do it. Um, And I had my parents and my brother. Um, who came to visit me every day, but I really needed to be held in that time. And I I wasn't in the way that I need. And my parents, this was the other thing, I thought they'd be a great support. And in some ways, they were. But in other ways, like I remember they rocked up in that first week and they didn't bring any lunch with them. And I ended up feeding them a curry that someone else had dropped off to us the night before, you know, just stuff like that. I was like, fuck's sake, like.
0: <laughs> you need to have <laughs> your like bum a- on the couch and that's about yeah. it. Yeah,
1: I should have yeah. been in bed for two weeks, and I'm um, the emotional support of kind of just feeling like I was completely flailing, I had this baby who would cry from, you know, sort of five o'clock until midnight every day, and like I remember calling, I ended up like desperately messaging people who I'd known had had babies, and being like, what is going on, and just asking them for like what do I do? And someone Mm -hmm. told me, you know, you need to call Panda, like you need to, which is the perinatal, what does it stand for? I can't remember, but it's, it's like a counseling line. And I did, and they were amazing. And I remember sobbing um, on the phone to them a couple of times, because I just was at this point where I could feel like, I felt like every time the sun was going down in the evening, I felt physically ill because I knew what was kind of coming
0: for the night ahead. That, The sunsetting thing, it seems to be such a point of like trauma or trigger for so many mums because I feel that. And my son didn't necessarily scream all night or anything like that. I mean, he woke up very often, but I would say he was perhaps on the straightforward side of babies, but even nighttime for me, just that dread that would like seep into your bones is such a terrifying feeling. Was there a certain turning point for you where things started To feel a bit better?
1: For me, it took till about four months for me to go, oh, I remember there was this one day where I'd gone out to a um, mother's group meetup. So also I missed the mother's group round because the nurse had gone away. So I didn't get a mother's group until three months postpartum. My daughter hated the pram. She hated the car. She was just a really tricky baby. Um, She, the thing, so the two things that I could kind of point to, there was that day where I had spent like, a day in the sunshine going for a walk with my mother's group and she was happy and giggling and I was like oh this is what I thought maternity leave would look like and the other thing that was a real turning point for me was probably one month in when I had had this night where I basically hallucinated I was so sleep deprived I'd woken up and my husband was going hey what's wrong and I was up in bed like rocking sitting up in bed rocking and then I looked down And I thought the baby was in my arms, but she wasn't. And so I panicked. She was just sleeping in the bassinet. And I'd had this beautiful home visiting midwife who'd said to me, cause I was like, she doesn't sleep longer than 45 minutes. Like I, I feed her, I wrap her up. Like I put her in the bassinet. she's like, I think you might need to look into co-sleeping. Have a look at the work of Dr. James McKenna. And I was like, oh my God, no, co-sleeping is dangerous. And la, 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 la. I've
0: been told and not to for like a <laughs> Yeah,
1: exactly. And we bought this fancy bassinet that like swung into the bed. Cause I thought maybe if she's a bit closer to me, la, la, la. No, no. Um, And so after that night, we were like, right, we are going to try co-sleeping. We read up on how to minimize all the risks and do it properly and everything. And that was a massive turning point. I went from being this complete sleep deprived zombie to actually getting decent chunks of sleep because she was, I could just, I didn't have to sit up to feed her. I could just flop a boob out, latch her on. And as she got bigger and bigger, she could basically just help herself. And, um, you know, she'd actually have decent stretches of sleep. She was still waking frequently, but it was less of a thing of like, sit up, put the light on, do the, this, now I've got to get you in the basement. Now I've got to go back to sleep and start all over again. So those are the two big things that there was that turning point where I started getting more sleep and okay, I'm getting through this. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And then that one day where I was like, oh, okay, it's taken four months, but this is, this is more how I imagine things would go.
0: It's such a wild ride. You're making me think of things that my son's only 15 months old, but that I've totally forgotten about. We went through a period of that. I'd put him to bed and he'd sleep for a few hours. But then as soon as he woke up, I was co sleeping for the rest of the night, feeding off and on literally all night. And yeah. that fear of waking up thinking your baby is in your arms, but they're actually just safely sleeping by your side or in their bassinet wow, that Mm -hmm. is triggering. So um, I'm so glad you shared that because it's so many little things that you forget that you go through that so many mums before us have gone through. So then what did maternity leave look like for you? Was there much of a plan of when you'd return to work, if it would be back to that freelance route, if you'd go to a more permanent position?
1: I had in my head that I continue freelancing and I'd probably try and go down the copywriting side of things. And i Plan to have a year off um that was what I sort of thought would work and we figured you know things will be tight but we can probably make it work we bought a house while we were still in LA and you know so we we brought her home there and then I got a call around four months postpartum from
0: uh, Marie Claire saying, would
1: you like to come back? as They sniffed center. out that you
0: just started feeling better. They're like, get her in. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: and I was like, oh, look, I'm not ready at four months. Um, I wasn't ready. My daughter was not the so- sort of baby who would just happily go off. She wouldn't take a bottle. She And she can say she's seven and she's still the same. Like she still does not do anything she doesn't want to do. And she's very tricky still. But yeah, I was just like, no, I'm not ready to do that. That's not how I see things padding out. I said, but you know, if you're willing to wait until the new year, she'll be seven months. I think I can make that work if you're willing to do like a staged thing. So we agreed that I'd start on two days a week and then go up to three, I think when she was one, and then you know, potentially go up to four. And also, I was like, I need three weeks off to go to Greece because we've already booked our tickets (laughs) for when she does one. So, um, yeah, that's what I did. I went back um, to Marie Claire and it was really loved. Like that for me was, I think when I was 15 and thinking about doing my work experience at the Australian Women's Weekly and like wanting to get into journalism, I was like, oh, features editor at Marie Claire. Yeah, like that was the, the pinnacle for me. Yeah, so I was excited to to take it.
0: So I know on the Beyond the Bump podcast, you said you liked returning to work, but how did you feel in the lead up? So you're two weeks out, you're still feeding. I think you were at this point. Your hormones are still, you know, like you're still doing a lot. Your hormones are still all over the shop. How did you feel emotionally?
1: I was very anxious about how it would play out.
0: And I was definitely a touch of guilt, but it was more the
1: anxiety side of things. So for those two days, my mum was going to have her. And, you know, they had a good bond and so that was all fine. She wouldn't take a bottle. So there was like, oh, God, what are we going to do? There was a lot of me stressing out like about things that ended up not mattering. So I always say to people the anticipation is actually worse than the thing itself usually when it comes to going back to work. I mean, not to say it's not challenging and all of those things, but I think it because it is such a moment, it is such a big milestone.
0: I feel like that. Black and whiteness of before and after for any stage of like moving your baby out of your room or all of those things, they feel a lot more black and white than they are. And then they start mm. daycare and it's actually a bit more gray. Like your life is still yours in a lot of ways. Things certainly change, but it's not as before and after as that anticipation makes you think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm the personality where I think of every worst case scenario. And so, um, you know, there was a lot of catastrophizing and, and in the end, like she, I got her to take a bottle, but she'd really only had like 20 mils, but she was drinking water by that point and eating solids. And she would, like I fed her till, cause I also was like, oh, we're going to have to stop breastfeeding. Like I'm not ready to stop. And how will that even work? Like there was a lot of just like questions. And in the end I continued to breastfeed her until she was two and a bit because she would just feed, like we'd have a feed in the morning. And then she'd see me in the afternoon, and she'd have a feed. Like it was sort of, it just all worked. It's, I mean, I say it all worked itself out. There were definitely times where I was like, "Whoa, this is, you know, this feels hard." But it wasn't as hard as I had anticipated it to be.
0: And as you stepped your hours up, how did you find navigating work? As I guess it became more of a rhythm and something you were more used to.
1: I, I mean. Granted, this is like six years ago, so my rose-coloured glasses may be on. But I actually remember really enjoying it, Um, really enjoying having my defined days where I was in the office. I wore office clothes. I got my coffee.
0: uh, You know? That is like a dream now, the idea of walking down, getting a coffee with your colleagues. How beautiful. It
1: was so good. And just feeling like, I was a part of something outside, like I loved my little days with Margot and like that was what was really nice, like I had my work days and then I had my Margot days and it was great, like I wasn't really bothered on my days off with her, no one was contacting me really and so I could really be with her and we had our rhythm, like we had our Friday dance class and then we'd go to this cafe for a purple smoothie and then we you know, we'd we'd have that and then on the days when I was at work I could really kind of be at work I mean obviously there was the inevitable come and pick up your kid from daycare because I've got conjunctivitis called but generally speaking um that side of things was working well for my return to work
0: and so then you add your son to the mix I think some four years later what was that experience like I guess maybe if we speak more broadly about pregnancy and then maternity leave and then returning to work as a mother of two as you know, yeah. my age gap is going to be much smaller, but I'm <laughs> heading in that direction. Yeah. Tell me how it was for you.
1: So, in between the Murray Claire job and um, the what I'm doing now, I had another job um, and uh, media as features editor at Stella Magazine. And it was during that maternity leave that i, I, I was doing a maternity leave cover for them that I decided I wanted to retrain as a postpartum daughter. So that's just for context. I then went and worked for myself. I was doing, I had set up Australia's first um, postpartum food delivery service. There's now like heaps of them around. But when I started, there was no one. There was no postpartum dollars in Sydney at all. So I was doing that. I was, it was a scary thing to go out and do something completely different. But I was also still freelancing as a writer. So I knew that I could always, I was like, I give it six months. And if I've given it six months and it doesn't
0: work out, I'll just go back to writing. So that's just for some context how old was your daughter when you made that decision
1: well I remember getting the first 40 days book when she was about six months old and they talked about postpartum dollars and that and
0: she talked about her food
1: delivery service in LA and I remember looking it up and looking up whether there are any in Sydney and looking up postpartum and going what the f-? and and also just getting this sense of being really ripped off because in this book she talks about it was such an eye-opener for me. It talks about culturally around the world, how all these non-Western cultures greet new mothers and it's, you know, you're encouraged to rest, like deep rest, like lying down, horizontal rest. There's special foods. There's housework taken off your plate. Older children you get support with. Not this barked up culture that we have, which is like the quicker you get back to normal, the better person you are and the better sleeper you have as a baby, the better mother you are. All these so I was just like I really want to be a part of this conversation I really want to I feel like there's a niche there I feel like I had such a shocking time of it I get it and I would have loved to have that as an option I might have still not taken it up because I would have been too naive for it but I get I still like get the need so um yeah that's when I she was small and then I the stellar job but I also was training while I was there to be a postpartum doula so I was doing that kind of you know on the way in on the train and on weekends and stuff so she was two and a half when I left that job and started my business and she was in daycare at that point I want to say she was in daycare maybe two days or three days maybe it was three days and with my mum one day I can't remember exactly now but it
0: was three or four days I had her in care yeah Amazing. And then so we will get back to your son now because that was some necessary context, I think, and an incredible thing to decide to do because it can feel pretty risky when there's children involved to Mm. decide to make a change in career. But let's talk second pregnancy, second postpartum, second mat leave. My second pregnancy so far, like if anyone follows me on Instagram, I've probably been banging on about how different it is. My first one was fine, like a mild hangover for 16 weeks, then fine. Second one, not as enjoyable. Was this your experience?
1: Um, It was definitely more full on, but still I feel like I had a pretty lucky time in terms of the sickness. I felt it more. So I was four years older and I think my body was just like, oh, this is hard. That's really Um, interesting. (laughs) Like I just, I, it was also different because he was more kind of consciously conceived. Like we were actually, you know, and I did a lot of work Preconception work to get ready for him because I still had birth trauma. I was, I had not addressed it. I was just like, no, later, I don't want to think about it. Don't want to think about it. Don't want to think about it. And then I was like, I have to, if I want to actually try and have a baby, I need to sort this out because I couldn't, like the thought of having another baby going through
0: birth again, I just was like, I couldn't. It's scary enough for a straightforward birth. And I don't mean that negatively because it's beautiful. But if you have serious birth trauma, I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Preparing for it I felt huge.
1: Yeah, I felt like up until I did this kind of um, counselling and I did EMDR, I'd actually felt like physically sick when I'd think about having another baby. And it wasn't like on a rational level, I was like, I want to have another baby. I love babies. I love, But I just, my body, my body knew. <laughs> so I really, I did a lot of like, you know, I talked to my GP first. I got a referral for a psychologist who specialised in perinatal stuff um I also did a lot of kind of like I did acupuncture I did fertility massages I just did all the things that I knew would help me get my head in the game and feel good about going into it so yeah he it was more like okay let's have you know three or four months of preparing okay now i are ready to try and we fell pregnant straight away I knew within that first week I was just like I'm pregnant I just had a knowing and I was like he's a boy I just feel it and I'm not very woo woo but maybe a little bit but <laughs> I was just like I just feel it I just feel like you know and my daughter wanted a, a girl she really wanted a baby sister Girls
0: always want a sister it's so yeah. funny
1: <laughs> she still does she still does but yeah I felt pretty sick um for a few weeks, like I wasn't chucking, but I was definitely gagging into the sink and like only able to eat carbs of that kind of vibe. And then the bushfires of 2019 hit, and that was a really scary time. Not, not we were in Sydney, like it wasn't that we were in, under imminent threat
0: but it was very
1: smoky mm-hmm. and we had to stay inside very more. And
0: yeah. I worked for Cricket At- Australia then and I remember like the SCG and the smoke and I'm pretty sure the game got caught off or got moved. Yeah, I, I can't feel remember. like that was a big thing. I yeah, feel like it, it was very, huge. I don't really so, care but... Yeah, you're not exaggerating there. I understand what you mean. No, it was wild.
1: It was really like Black Saturday, um, bushfires, and I went into a big existential crisis around climate change and. I'd
0: had one of those recently.
1: Yeah, I have them. I have them periodically, yeah. um, but particularly around that time, as I know a lot of people do. It with like, you know, just okay. This is what we're and uh, why am I bringing a baby into this, and how is this going to affect my pregnancy, and you know, mm-hmm. all of that. And then um, fast forward to be feeling a bit better. I'm in my second trimester. I'm still seeing clients and doing my food delivery service, but then COVID hit, and for me. I was scared but I was also planning a home birth so I wasn't affected by the hospital the changing ever-changing bullshit hospital you know you can have someone no you can't have anyone no you're not going to be able to have a support person no you can't have give birth in water no you can't like all the it was just terrible how birthing people were treated during that time I think it's
0: such a vulnerable time anyway isn't it
1: oh fucked anyway so um yeah my plan in terms of my, I was just going to work up until I could, that was the plan. And then sort of have hopefully a year off with him. But because COVID hit, I had finished up with a client. I think I was about 20 something, 22 weeks pregnant. And I was like, I was done with clients at that point. I was still planning to run my food delivery service, but it was just getting a bit with supply chain stuff going on, harder to get ingredients. And also, the biggest thing was we took my daughter out of preschool, so which in hindsight we didn't need to. But I was really worried about you know being pregnant, um, having gestational diabetes and asthma, and getting COVID, which I it's now we still haven't had COVID in our family at all.
0: Oh, my God, you're an Three anomaly. I know,
1: it's really <laughs> weird. We're going to Fiji in two weeks. I'm like, this had better not happen in the next two weeks. I'm, I'll be so pissed off. Um, anyway, so she, I had her home with me full time. And that was the decider for me. I was like, I can't actually work and have her home with me.
0: Well, that's a full time job, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And then my husband was working from home too, but he didn't even have an office to work from. He was working from like a the sunroom attached to our kitchen. Like it was just... It was I'm trying to keep her quiet, like a four-year-old quiet while he's working. So that was quite stressful. Um, but then I had a really great birth with him. I had a, and by that point lockdown had kind of eased up. So I was able to have my you know, doula and midwife and everyone sort of um, coming to do the antenatal appointments in my home. I didn't have to go to hospital for any of that. So that was such a blessing. And yeah, um, yeah, I had him at home. I had him in the bathroom. It was incredible and very powerful. And my husband caught him and, uh, yeah, had went wow. into this very blissful, very highly thought out and planned for postpartum. My husband had, he was going to have one month off work. That was my. I was like, I am not having another baby unless you get a month off work. But then it ended up being three months off work because he had a contract fall through because of COVID. So it was tight financially for us. Like he went on Job Seeker, I'm on Job Keeper. You know, thank you to the Australian government for keeping our family afloat during that time because, yeah, otherwise we would have been fucked. But in the end, it worked out to be this great three-month period where, yeah, he was home and he was a lot more of an equal partner in in that whole experience. And I had a meal train. I filled two freezers. We didn't cook for the first three months. I'd planned, I'd taken everything that I'd learned basically in the previous, from my first experience, but also from like my professional training and supporting clients in a lot of different circumstances with older siblings and all of that stuff and just kind of applied it and worked really hard to, to get it right. And it was, it was good. I mean, it still had its challenges, but also temperamentally, my son is very different and he was a chill baby. He'd wake up twice a night he'd see for 15 minutes and then he'd be done like he was just chill
0: totally different baby seems to be so different it blows my mind I'd be interested to see what's in store for me next time so (laughs) what does the return to work look like this time then you're working for yourself
1: yeah I'm working for myself and I start because COVID still you know going on. So I sort of thought I might start off with some virtual support work, um, which I did. And I had a few clients where I was, I was kind of their virtual um, postpartum support person and we did planning and we do, and we do check-ins and we do, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But I was really chomping at the bit to get back to in-person support. And I also really wanted to do, um, I'd, I'd had lactation cookies that I'd made as part of my food delivery service and they were always my bestseller, and people loved them and so I was like you know what I want to do a packet mix so you just add coconut oil and eggs and bake it at home and so I really wanted to get that off the ground as well so I was like gung-ho let's get back into this
0: so you had that really creative thing that happens sometimes in the postpartum where you're like I've created life and now I'm ready to go 100%.
1: 100%. I also, at one point, I was having like all kinds of ideas, which I think is, I hear from so many people, happens. Like they just get that's huge creative stage. Like I, at one point, some were really questionable. I'm like, right, I'm going to, we're going to flip houses. That's it. That's my new thing. I'm flipping <laughs> houses. What the fuck? Um, and we also decided to move out of Sydney. So we, it, it all happened quite quickly. Within a few months, we decided to move down south, which is where we are now. And that was partly because we're like, oh, well, you know, Michael's working from home now permanently. And we've got another baby coming. And we're just outgrowing this space. But also, I think COVID really made us reassess what we wanted our life to look like. And what we could afford in Sydney was just depressing um so yeah we moved and I went back to taking in the home clients I got very very excited and I totally overkilled myself so my big thing is now if I could have gone back would just be start slowly and build rather than get excited and like take on too much and you've committed to people and so you can't not do it so I was like it'll be fine I'll be fine to drive to Sydney and and see clients in Sydney and I was job sharing with another doula so I thought that would be he'll be fine he'll be fine and call back he'll be fine like he'll be settled into daycare by then well he took a long time to settle into daycare it was and it was also the daycare was very covid sensitive and we had to like hand him over at the door to a, someone in a mask we didn't get to do any orientation with him so it was really hard for him and for me and I think which is probably something you should think about, is it's just logistically different with two kids. yeah. And I just didn't really,
0: I knew it, but I didn't really get it. It's funny you say that. I have a wedding next year, potentially in Brisbane. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to have to think about how to get two kids up there. And if uh, someone's looking after my toddler, if like a, a set of grandparents comes up and looks after a toddler, like who's going to look after the newish born for the few hours that I'm actually at the wedding? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Sounds wild. It's just,
1: it's just I just kind of assumed like my return to work would play out like my return to work would with my first child, which was definitely had its bumps, but it was fine. And it was I just um realized pretty early on that it was I'd bitten off more than I could chew and I'd been way too optimistic. Yeah. And I pushed through, um, but it was like he was 18 months old, which I thought would be totally fine. But he's just more sensitive and um really didn't want to go to daycare and that was really hard. Um and also then I decided to night wean him from like March. It took bloody months of partly because he kept getting sick, so I'd stop and then we'd start up again and and so he was waking up at four thirty in the morning for like months over winter. Ugh. And I was having to like show up, you know, be like telling. I at the end of the day, I kind of realized I was being a hypocrite because I was telling people like, make sure you're resting and are you looking after yourself and are you sitting me? And I was like, oh my god, I'm doing none of these things. Like I'm yeah. cooking for someone for three hours on a Sunday. I'm telling my whole family to leave the house so I can do it, and then I they're coming back and I'm giving them fish fingers for dinner. Like something's out of whack. It's just.
0: I imagine your work's quite emotional too, like. You don't yeah. want to be tired and run down, which we can't help it as parents, I think. But yeah. you're giving a lot of yourself at your work.
1: Yeah, like it's beautiful work. It's really beautiful work. But you need to show up for someone fully in that kind of work. Like you are there to support them. So there's not really the space to do a half ass job. And you've got to be on at all times. Like often I'm looking after a newborn while mum has a sleep and I, you know, like it's, yeah, of course. And, and then I'm driving an hour and a quarter home. Like it's sort of, or, you know, with one case that so I took on a client in Manly, it was like two and a half hours driving home on a Friday afternoon. I was like, Oh my God, why? But, and it was hard because it's like, I love this work and the women were all so beautiful. And it's so like cup filling for me on one hand, but just, coming to that real ego death humbling realization that the season of life that I'm in right now is not conducive to this work right now like in six Mm -hmm. months maybe in 12 months maybe but just kind of throwing myself in at the deep end really was looking back was silly of me to do but I was just excited to like when you love your work it's just like yeah I can't wait to get back
0: to it and And so you do work for yourself, which I do now too. Sometimes it works really well and I have great weeks where I'm really efficient. Other weeks I'm just like not that efficient, especially right now.
1: What are the best Mm. and
0: worst bits for you and how do you navigate efficiency? Yeah, it's tricky.
1: I think um, I do like structure and I do like to have, so I just write myself lots of lists and I also have learned that I have to accept that shit is going to continually hit the fan. Like I launched my cookbook this week, a lot, like on Friday actually, so a week ago. And um, I planned to, like I had my perfect plan. I plan I cleared my diary on Monday, nothing on, so that I could fully concentrate on creating content. Tuesday with my, I still have a one-day-a-week writing job, which I hold on to because I, I love like keeping my toe in the writing world. And then um, Wednesday, Thursday, I had my my son and I was like, that was my kind of big push was meant to be ending Wednesday night. So I was like, cool, Monday, I can dedicate to that. Of course, Friday morning, the day that I'm meant to be launching a cookbook, my son's about to go to daycare. And then I turn around and he's fallen asleep on the couch and has a high temperature. Oh, no. It was just like, it was actually laughable i was like you are being so cliched
0: right now could you just stop please yeah it's always the way isn't it it's like the world's trying to send us a message anytime you have something big on something happens with your kids yeah
1: (laughs) was like, okay this is a joke but um, unfortunately my husband works from home so he could kind of wrangle him while i still i was teaching a free class and then i could i had to launch it so that was all okay but then he still had to stay home on Monday because he'd been having temps on Sunday evening. So that was my day gone. Um, and it's frustrating. And I still I still even though like I'd love to sit here and tell you that it's all, you know, this is what I've worked out and I've learned all these important lessons and I, I have, but it still frustrates the shit out of me.
0: Yeah.
1: That I am at the mercy of motherhood
0: mm. and mothering
1: you know, that's ultimately the priority and I have to drop things if um, I need to. But I am better now at accepting that and accepting that this is the season that I'm in and reminding myself that I'm not always going to be in this season. Like I've seen the difference now, my daughter's at school five days. I mean, it's still, it's a very short day, Um, you know, three o'clock rolls around real quick, but it's just, it's a different chapter. So I'm really trying to remind myself that it's all season, like all different, you know, different things for different seasons and um, just have to try and be as efficient as I can and just not stick around, which I think you kind of, you you, re- you realise, right, like you have a day where you get screwed over by a daycare pickup or whatever and then you're like, okay, I actually really need to not stick around too much. But that for me also means that I have to be a bit like strict with, um, diarising things like uh massages and workouts like I was like right I didn't feel like doing my workout this morning after I did drop off but I was like do it now because if you don't do it now it'll fall away so I'm like I have to get a bit a
0: bit strict on on those things that I know will help me in the longer term um that's yeah. what I need to start doing blocking out my time better because if you don't things can really go oh, totally. off on an Let's absolute it off. tangent So you've also been quite open about rough patches in your relationship in those early days, which really shocked me. We were fine, but it shocked me how tense I found myself sometimes in the early days of motherhood with my partner, who I assumed, I mean, you hear that relationships change, but because he's so relaxed and such a great and willing dad and willing sort of houseworker and willing food shopper and all those things I just didn't think I thought we were immune I'm a one of those naive people that thought we were immune but you've been quite open about I guess those early challenges what that did to your relationship and how you then had to change things can you tell us a bit about that time yeah sure it really makes me think of
1: this great quote by
0: Esther Perel, who says
1: something, I'll ball up the quote, but it's something like, you know, having a baby is a psychological revolution that changes your relationship to everyone and everything around you. And I really think it's true. For me, I see the relationship rough patch, and there was, it was mostly one big rough patch, as a really integral part of my matrescence and that process of kind of coming through and turning into a new version of myself because I think when she was first born and it was just all very much in the trenches and I was on maternity leave we it was all about the baby it all about getting through and we were fine we were very you know it was lovely like it really was a very kind of lovely blissful time while we while I wasn't like tearing my hair out I felt very. Yeah, there's connected. something that happened the first few months.
0: It's so like, la la la, love you, love you, love you. And then something yeah.
1: happens. <laughs> what well, is for me, the something happened was the return to work. When I think about it, it was this like, because I'd been, I'd really reveled in my kind of um homemaker side when I was on maternity leave. And I love to cook and don't love to clean, but. um I really enjoyed being at home and and, and doing the dinners and, and taking care of that side of things. And then I went back to work and granted it was three days a week, but I was also, you know, let's not forget with a toddler, the other two days, it's not like, you know, I'm i just get harder, all this time harder. getting my nails done. Yeah. <laughs> so I just was like, it, it sort of started dawning on me. I'm like, hang on, like what is happening here? I am turning, I am turning into... The household director of activities, the manager of, you know, do we need more loo roll, the meal planner, like everything. And instead of it feeling, I knew it would never be equal because I was working part time, but it didn't feel fair at all. And my husband sounds sort of similar to yours in that he's very chill. If I ask him to do something, he'll do it. But there's not a lot of initiative. And like he was brought up with um, you know, he's the youngest of four, his parents were very traditional, you know, gender role. Like it, it comes from a Greek background. His father didn't change a single mappy of those four children. And Michael was the spoiled prince of the house. So he wasn't trained to take the initiative to do anything even though and even though he'd lived you know by himself for years he'd sort of have um, nuts and sultanas for dinner type of deal like he just didn't know how to do anything and what I think was really upsetting for me was I would try to be like oh I need you to do xyz but in the end it's it just started to feel like me banging my head up against a brick wall because it nothing would change like he'd try like he'd make one meal and then it would just kind of go back to how it, it was like there was no
0: and then the change. asking for things is still frustrating like my husband's really yeah. good at it now but it took a long time of training that you know happened before the baby even came it have been like I don't have to always ask for this you just have to do it yeah like no to and do I think it
1: <laughs> there was um the article that kicked off the whole mental load conversation culturally came out around this time I think and it really hit a nerve with like billions of other people obviously but yeah for me I mean it was just you know it wasn't like one big thing there was just a series of things that kind of were happening in our relationship which just made me feel very dissatisfied and I started seriously considering am I gonna would I be happier with someone else would I be happier alone I I'm really not down for this like I I just I I just said to my husband I'm like I didn't sign up for this like it doesn't feel like a partnership and I think he really like it came to a head and he realized um that I was like this was not like it was either things need to really change or like uh, it's done and I didn't like I, I didn't sort of say that in any kind of light way but I and I didn't want to like I still loved him and all of those things but I think yeah without getting into all the details like there were just there's so many things kind of going on in that time but we I was just like I don't know if I want this I just don't know if I want this and I think when once he realized that like really realized that and we had some like real come to Jesus moments and things did start to change then so it was even just simple things like uh me not having to do the snack box when we go out, him remembering to like, he'd start putting on a load of laundry before he left for work in the morning, just not me having to ask for him to do things. And also me taking responsibility. I read this great book called um, Drop the Ball, which was really talking a lot about how, like it was a kind of a system, I guess, or strategy for getting that mental load off and having things be more equal. But a big part of the process was after you get the reward, after you've kind of divvied up everything, you have to drop the ball. You have to let go of control and accept that people that they are going to mess things up, do things differently. Um, you know, whether you're in a heterosexual relationship or not, like there's going to people do different things different ways. Mm. And that for me was because I realised I'd been gatekeeping and yeah. that I had been jumping in to do things because oh, I do it better and quicker and whatever. And I really had to take responsibility for my side of it. And also just this, which I still definitely do, this sort of thing of like, oh, but he should just get it.
0: He should just know. He just didn't. I've had that conversation with a friend of mine who we get on real like feminist sort of rants together. And we'd both sort of realised recently that you can get really frustrated with them for not just knowing, but then that frustration... And me just sort of shutting down that conversation there because I'm frustrated doesn't actually help me at all. And there's so much generational training that has gone into us women taking on this load and then perhaps not in heterosexual relationships that I do have to remind myself, yeah, it's frustrating sometimes that he doesn't get things the way I do, but just being frustrated and dropping it there doesn't help. So I've had that exact same thing with the gatekeeping. And even lately I've just been like, I've been quite happy that I'm not like a clean freak in a lot of ways because I'll just let things go And he'll do them. And I've been thinking it must be a lot harder for my friends that are genuinely, they can't live in any sort of mess. And it's a genuine thing that some people have, obviously, where they're just so organised and so clean they can't deal with it. And I think that's actually been a real saving grace for me that my standards are a bit lower. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't agree more with that gatekeeping thing. And it's a really interesting one because, yeah, it can be really frustrating to,
1: I guess, feel like you
0: have to name things. But I guess if we want things to change we do have to to, until
1: they switch yeah totally and I think it's so easy to get stuck in this resentment cycle as well and then you just start I think it just erodes a relationship really yeah none of it's none of it was easy for us and it definitely Yeah. yeah it felt really hard at the time but things are a lot better now it feels fair and it helps that he now works from home and I mean he does he chops off my daughter every morning at school and does lunch boxes and, you know, does laundry and you know, we're still working on the cooking front,
0: but, um,
1: you know, like he's, he's pretty good.
0: My husband cooks, but he's just got like a very small rotation of things in his <laughs> repertoire and I'm like, I love that you cook, and I love that you cook every week and I love that you food shop but I think we need to broaden your horizon. (laughs) We'll work on that next, I think. I'll let him go for a bit longer. So I have one last question for you, and this is, again, going back to the beyond the bump conversation. You talked Mm -hmm. about how we're not meant to be with our children 24-7 and how communities raise children together in the cave days, and I really loved this because sometimes I think you can get trapped in that, "Why why did I have kids just to leave them? And you can feel really bad about that sort of stuff and you can find it really hard to find the line of what me time is and what me time you deserve and then that guilt of like, well, why the bloody hell did I just have this family if I'm off leaving them all the time? So I think this is really comforting and I'd love for you to go into this sort of concept and the anthropology behind it a bit more. Oh,
1: I mean, it, it is just bullshit. The sort of system that we're operating under now, which is late-stage capitalism and this whole rubbish that we've been fed around a nuclear family like it's a relatively recent invention since industrialization and people moving to cities and I mean the cot came directly out of industrialization everyone was sleeping with their babies before that it's all capitalism it's all been designed to you know get workers working basically without me going on a Marxist rant like that's basically where it's going go from. for it <laughs> <laughs> because pre that we were all living I mean, like our great-grandmothers, great-great-grandmothers maybe, were all living in villages, um, you know, and and that's closer to how we evolved being, you know, living in caves, right? So you're in a cave, you are in a village or a tribe, and anthropologists have shown that there's some, I never get the number right, but it's somewhere like between 7 and 11 different adults who were allo parenting with you so not just babysitting or cooking a meal or whatever but actually sharing the parenting mode so considered they were sort of considered parents by the child I mean obviously they you know their parents were but you know what I mean so it's not just a trite little phrase to be like it takes a village to raise a child like it is part of our very deeply embedded biologically imperative human needs to be raising a child with support. And I think to pretend otherwise is probably why so many people and women in particular feel shit about the job that they're doing and that they're not good enough Um, because it's just like, it's a lie that we've been sold and it has nothing to do with the reality of human history and, and how a lot of humans still live today. Like it's, I'm, I'm talking from a very Western centric perspective right now, but you go to lots of places in the world and um, you know, you see that's still being played out, you know, in a slightly different way, but places where there's a village and it's aunties and it's cousins and it's, you know, a multi-generational group of kids who are playing together on the streets and, you know, all of that kind of thing. So I, like to think about both from a professional thing but also from my own personal life like how can I try and replicate that and one of the answers is um through paying people um you know the reality is I don't have like my auntie lives in the UK um Michael's family is in Tasmania uh you know but we can recreate something of the village um by sometimes we have to pay. sometimes we have to get uncomfortable and ask for help I think that's the other big thing you know we've been we've been told that to be a successful human you work hard you are independent you take care of shit yourself you know you're a woman who can cope with anything right but the reality is that's not the reality um and that's not how we're meant to do things and it's just all lies from capitalism um that are just trying to extract more more money and productivity out of us so asking for help's been a really big one for me like trying to lean on people because i don't like i don't like doing that i get real uncomfortable doing that but it has actually been a total game changer
0: i love that you mentioned that too in terms of that your village can include any paid help that you have because i saw something on instagram it might have been a comment on one of my own posts actually and it was around how like childcare itself should be considered your village and I was thinking about the other day when I dropped my son off and a little girl that I know I know her mom um, she's obviously learning to walk and she's walking towards this educator and this educator is beaming at her like yeah come to me and she ends up walking towards her and sort of catches her in her, in her arms and gives her the biggest hug and I'm like Yeah. This isn't just this like stale thing where we're dropping our kids off because we need to go earn money and we want to fill our egos. Like Mm. these people are raising and looking after and caring for our children.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And providing them with something really, really valuable. Like I think early childhood educators should be paid, you know, more than bankers because they are doing such an important job. And I am so personally grateful to have that. and had. You know, we have grandparent support too, but now that we're living um, further away, we don't have that as much. But we have babysitters who we pay when we need to. Um, We have a variety of non-biological aunties around who, um, you know, really help out. And I think you you need need a a mix of all of that. You, You just can't do it alone. And even when you've got a mix of that, it's still hard.
0: It sure is. No, I love that. I think it's a really nice reflection, especially if anyone is on the way to daycare drop-off, to remember, (laughs) we were never meant to do it on our own. So feel good about that drop-off and get yourself a coffee. I have one more question for you. You recently ran a return to work class. And while I don't want you to give anything away of that content, because I'm sure they might come up again in the future, can you tell us firstly what inspired it? I'm assuming that it might've come directly from a lot of your clients. And then also just give us a little bit of a rundown of what you go through in that class yeah sure Um, you
1: can still grab it it's um I can give you the link it's uh 22 bucks and it was inspired by my experiences and um clients and just all the conversations that I've had with friends because it is such a hot topic and it is such a massive moment when you feel like just as you know things are kind of in a rhythm and maybe you're finding your thing in motherhood and then the rug gets pulled out to you again and you've got to you've got to adjust to a whole new uh thing so I wanted to create it because I could just see that there was such a need for some education around it and also because when I was looking at the statistics around the differences between the way that uh, mothers and fathers work I was kind of outraged to see that you know nothing changes in terms of the household chores that fathers do whereas brothers it doubles and it, it stays that way even if they're still working like it's just it's so problematic and I see it playing out with everyone I know basically so for me it was like you know there's so much going on there's the mental load there's the actual like how do I make this shit work with the house the realities of I need to earn money and you know the house still has to run and blah 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 blah, blah. how can you um navigate daycare sicknesses settling in like all of that kind of stuff so the class is um it, it covers a lot of things it covers you know how you look after your baby in that transition how do you look after your um, self in that transition and how do you manage your relationship in that transition as well all the while keeping the house going so that's it's kind of a combo of um, lots and lots of practical strategies and tips and you know everything from can you keep breastfeeding while you go back to work and to how you your slow cooker is going to be your new best friend and how you know all the kind of little hacks and and things that um, have helped me and help clients and that I've kind of collated together as well as a bit of a reality check around what do the numbers actually show us and how can we this on an individual level so that we don't end up these like whinging harpies who are just no fun to be around and just household drudges because who wants to do that?
0: not i naomi (laughs) you have one place where all of this lives we've talked about your beautiful e cookbook which i've just downloaded and i've had a bit of a flip through Um, i think i'll be making the brownies first (laughs) Um, i've actually also downloaded this return to work uh course so or what would you call it class so i need to be looking into that soon and i will where can people find all of this and your great instagram account where you share lots of stuff too so my website www.cocoonbynaomi.com where you can find all the things. Um and on Instagram I am at cocoon by Naomi. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of your incredible insight today.
1: Thanks There was so fun chatting with you.
0: Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.